You're listening to the Bridges Nashville podcast. Bridges is a house church movement meeting in homes all across Music City. To find a house church near you or to find other ways to support or get involved, go to BridgesNashville.com. Well, this week I was in Columbus, Ohio. I had the opportunity to join CMN, the Church Multiplication Network, and coach church planters from all around the country. 32 teams that will start churches in the next year or two with all different kinds of models. We had dinner churches, churches meeting in schools, bars, restaurants, event spaces. There were house churches, urban, rural, and everything in between. Coaching is one of my favorite things that I get to do. See, I get to share some of our journey here in Nashville with planting bridges, and I get to pour into future pastors and leaders. I love the Church Multiplication Network. In fact, It's one of the ways that your giving at Bridges makes a difference. Did you know 10% of everything that comes in through tithes and offerings goes to investing in church plants through CMN? When you give, you partner with planters. Since we started as a church in 2018, we've been able to be a part of over 400 other churches launching all across the world. So I want to thank you for your generosity and for giving today. I love coaching and spending time with people called to ministry. Uh, Back before coming to Nashville in 2017, uh, Sarah and I were on staff at National Community Church in Washington, D.C., where I was the worship director. And while there, I got to raise up and train dozens of worship leaders. I was also a mentor in their protege program. Many of the worship leaders that I got to train are still in full-time ministry today. That was why I wrote the book Soundcheck. It was my passion for worship teams and leaders to live with authenticity and purpose. Now, these days, I'm more on the mentor side of that equation, but I don't know where I would be in my life without people pouring into me when I was a young musician, teachers, coaches, and mentors taking time out of their busy schedules to invest in my life not just to help me become a better musician, songwriter, and leader, but really to become a better follower of Christ. Women like Charlotte Barnes, my first piano teacher, who inspired me to never give up on a piece, even when it was hard. Guys like Scott Ormsby, who taught me how to lead worship and showed me how to sense the presence of God. Coaches like Steve Franco, who never let me settle for less on the soccer field. Mentors like Steve Pike, who called out potential when all I could see was failure. That's what discipleship looks like. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Last week, during our first Sunday gathering at the Listening Room, we kicked off our new series for the summer, One Another. We're going to look at some of these key instructions for the early church on how to live a life that follows Jesus and changes the world. We learned that it first starts with the great commandment that came from Jesus himself to love one another as he loves us. And as we continue on in this series, you're going to find that every one another is rooted in love. This week, we're leaning into this passage from Hebrews to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Other translations use the words inspire one another or motivate one another. But honestly, I love spur. 
It reminds me of the old West Cowboys. They had these little discs on the backs of their boots to get the horses to move forward. And you, when they're used correctly, they actually don't even hurt the horse, but they give them the necessary encouragement that they need to move forward. You know, using spurs with horses goes all the way back to the 5th century BC with the Celts. In fact, the Romans used them in warfare. As they would steer the horses with their feet, it freed up their hands to do combat and battle. See, when we spur one another on to love and good deeds, we engage in the spiritual battle that's happening every day in our lives. And it helps us to move forward in victory. Now, we can't motivate one another out of ambition, manipulation, or fear, but we're called to inspire each other to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. And in doing so, it advances his purpose. Love will motivate us to continue forward in our purpose and spur people to step into their calling. See, when we get sidelined or sidetracked, as many of us probably have over these last 12 months, these are the times that we need people in our lives calling us upward and out, not letting us fall behind. People often settle for mediocrity when there's no one pushing them to greatness. Now, it's not 100% clear who the writer of Hebrews is. Some scholars believe it was Paul uh, who wrote much of the New Testament. Others think it could have been one of Paul's associates like Barnabas or any of his other disciples. It was a letter that was written in the latter half of the first century to the early Christians. And I find it so interesting that in this passage that motivates us to spur one another on to loving good deeds, it's coupled with this phrase, don't give up meeting with one another. Isn't this a word for us today? As we're emerging out of what I would call the most isolating year of our lives, if there's one thing that 2020 and COVID have shown us, it's that we were made for community. This is so key, and yet statistics are showing high percentages of people not coming back to church, not engaging in their faith community, and thus falling away in their faith. I just want to emphasize how important it is to not give up meeting with one another. Following Christ is not a solo sport. This is a community-driven faith, hence these 60 one another commands. We need each other. See, you can read the Bible by yourself. You can pray by yourself. You can even worship God in the solitude of your home. And listen, there have been some beautiful moments with just me and God at my piano. But there's something special when we come together as the body of Christ to sing praise at the listening room. And there's something powerful when as the church, we have these prayer and worship nights and the people of God meet the presence of God. There's something amazing that happens in house church when 10 to 15 people are gathered in a living room or around the table to discuss the scriptures, to pray and share testimony. You know what happens in house church? One another. This is why we do it. In my humble opinion, I believe that house church is the easiest context to live out this one another lifestyle. This was the New Testament church. They met in homes. Now, I know it's not the only way, but I believe sitting in circles is better than sitting in rows. Why? Because it's hard to build relationships staring at the back of someone's head. But when you sit around a table or when you sit in a living room in a circle, you can see each other, you talk to each other, you can spur one another on 
to good deeds. So I want to talk about spurring one another on specifically through three functions. And these are three roles that you need to have in your life. And then at some point, these are three roles that you need to be for someone else with their permission, of course. So write these down if you're taking notes today. Everyone needs a coach. Everyone needs a cheerleader. And everyone needs a champion. Everyone needs a coach. Remember, people will often settle for mediocrity when there's no one pushing them to greatness. Uh, last year, one of my favorite documentaries that came out was The Last Dance. It chronicled the 90s Chicago Bulls with Michael Jordan, who at one point was the greatest and most famous athlete in the entire world. See, I grew up with a Jordan obsession, and uh, I had to watch this series when it came out on Netflix. And in one episode, they had this interview with Michael, and he was talking about how he never wanted to stop getting better, and therefore, he always wanted to be coached. He needed somebody telling him that there was always another level to get to. There was always another goal to attain. And for Michael, that was Phil Jackson. Now, Phil is a legend in his own right. He holds the record for 11 NBA championships. He won a couple as a player. This was the perfect coach for a guy like Michael. It was a special relationship, kind of like one we see in the Bible. Paul, the author behind many of these letters to the church didn't do ministry alone. He would travel from city to city in the ancient Mediterranean, taking the gospel wherever he went. But he usually took people with him. Guys like Aristarchus, who went with Paul to Rome. Barnabas, a fellow Jew, helped him evangelize the Gentiles. There was Silas, John Mark, and many more. There was also Lydia, the first documented convert in Europe. She was probably a fan of house church too. Check this out, Acts 16, 14 and 15. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us house church. But in particular, I love the relationship between Paul and a young leader named Timothy. Paul is very clearly a mentor and a coach in Timothy's life. And he wrote first and second Timothy as letters to inspire and spur his young friend on to good deeds. Paul coached Timothy to rise up and not be afraid because of his youth, but to move forward and purpose. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Do you have a coach in your life? Someone who calls out the best in you and speaks to your potential? I can't recommend this enough because listen, there will be times when you don't want to keep moving. There will be times when you say, I cannot do this anymore. And that's when you need someone to remind you of the promise in Philippians that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. So find a mentor, maybe someone who is a little further in their faith journey than you are. I would recommend someone a little older than you are. Here at Bridges, I have a board of directors guys who are older than me, longer in the faith. They help me oversee and give direction 
to the church so that it doesn't all just hinge on me. And my board members have this coaching spirit. Jim and Paul and Simon, they help me with a strategy and ideas. You gotta have a coach. And then is there someone younger, a little newer in the faith than you are that you can coach? I call that discipleship. Everyone needs a coach. And the next role is a cheerleader. We all need these in our lives. A cheerleader is someone gifted with words of encouragement. And for me, no one does this better than my wife, Sarah. If you know Sarah, you know she has so much compassion and empathy, and those are not two of my strong points. See, when I'm low, she lifts me up, and when I'm streaming off of success, she keeps me humble. Remember in Exodus, where Moses and the Israelites are fighting against the Amalekites, Exodus 17. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hands, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. See, a cheerleader will hold your arms up when you're tired. Nothing shows this moment better than a more recent moment that happened in the 1992 Olympic Games in Barcelona when British runner Derek Redman, he gets this injury in his hamstring, but he didn't want to give up. So somebody came to his side, held him up, and cheered him to finish the race. Check this out. Now down the back stretch. Ismael on the left of the screen is running very, very quickly. And inside of Lewis, Sunday Bada of Nigeria. And Derek Redman of Great Britain has pulled up with an injury. Redman is out. Derek Redman, the British record holder and an important member of that British 4x400 meter relay team as he doesn't want anybody to help him. It'll be Lewis to win in 44.50. Look at this, he's going to try to finish his semi-final race. The British have a certain tradition of running, which you have to respect. A bizarre finish to this first semi-final in the men's 400 meters. Derek Redmond of Great Britain pulled up with an injury halfway down the back stretch. He's fighting off those trying to help him to finish the race in his lane. And now the pain too much. throughout Olympic Stadium as Redmond, with assistance this time, approaches the finish line he had wanted so desperately to reach. Who 
is in your life that needs cheering on? Who can you spur on to good deeds and love? And lastly, we all need a champion. When I was growing up, I wasn't the tallest for my age. In fact, I was usually the shortest in my class, and that led to me getting picked on every now and then. Oh, but I had a friend. I had a champion. His name was Anthony. He was in my neighborhood, lived across the street, and Anthony was one of those 12-year-olds that must have hit a growth spurt early on because he was like six foot tall in the third grade. You know what I'm talking about? He was the kid in Little League that probably would have been drafted by the Yankees to play ball. But Anthony stood up for me, and several times when people tried to pick a fight with me, Anthony would step in, and quickly my enemies would scatter. Anthony was a champion for me. See, a champion is someone who will go to bat for you, who will fight for you. And there has never been a greater champion in all of history than Jesus, who fought the battle with sin and death, and he conquered the grave. He won your victory, Hebrews 12, verse 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Now, the Greek word for champion here is archagon, and it means pioneer or chief leader. It's someone who goes before us and blazes the way, makes a path for us to follow in. And when we say yes to a life with Jesus, he spurs us on, leads the way so that we can make disciples and advance the kingdom, makes a way so we can step into purpose, alive in faith and not held back by a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound mind. And so to be like Christ, I pray we have the heart of a champion. Now, that's not just a Disney kind of phrase. It's a true calling to be a voice for the voiceless, to take a stand for those who feel defeated. This is why I love Second Saturday Serve and partnering with missionaries because it puts our faith into action. You know, this weekend, we joined Second Harvest Tennessee and packed food for hundreds of families that are under-resourced right here in our community in Nashville. This is one reason we do our annual backpack drive that's coming up to help those kids in need. We want to be a people that champion others. Let's be cheerleaders. Let's rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Let's look for opportunities to be a coach. And then let's get a coach, somebody who can disciple us with intentionality. Listen, grab coffee with somebody in your house church. That's a great place to start. Let's not give up meeting together. And let's spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Bridges Nashville podcast. To stay up to date on everything going on at Bridges, you can find us online at facebook.com slash Bridges Nashville or at Bridges Nashville on Instagram.